the future of business. Future of business. Future of business. More global and more decentralized. Making sure that enterprises are a lot more responsible. Smart cities. More collaboration. Consumer-driven productivity. Environmental and social responsibility. Global. Human-centered. Purposeful. Individualized. Automation. Big data. Climate change. Space exploration. Renewable energy. Information security. Exciting and digital. Hello and welcome to the Future of Business podcast. I'm your host, Alison MacArthur, and in this episode, we'll be talking with Tarun Varma, Initiatives Manager at the Lego Foundation, specialising in early childhood education. He focuses on businesses and opportunities which can help children realise their full potential. We also caught up speaking to Laura and Pooja from the MBA programme here at Oxford Said Business School, who are building a startup to help support vulnerable parents support their child's growth. So welcome to the podcast. Um, it's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Um, so I was wondering, could you just start by telling us a little bit about what early childhood development means? Making sure that the children learn well and uh, in the age below six, which is typically what is defined as early childhood or eight in some cases, uh, that they are well cared for, happy, healthy, nutritious, and in this time of amazing brain development, where the brain is literally uh, making the maximum neural connections in it, it ever will in its life, uh, mm-hmm. that the child is ready to learn, absorb uh, what's going around in the world. Um, so I guess early childhood development has really, until now, been in the purview of of the government. It's maybe seen as the government's role, but obviously you're more focused on it from a business aspect so I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about about you know how you got into the role what the Lego Foundation does and how business can play a part in early childhood development. Sure uh, you know, in terms of uh, the way I look at it uh, you know I, I have a business hat on most of the time because that was what my first career was uh, and uh, I think there's a lot of room for uh, business uh, Innovating. The Lego Foundation, per se, uh, works uh, in many different settings and uh, tries to make sure there's a balance between innovation and investment. But I'll step back a little bit, tell you a quick, uh, tell you quickly about you know how I got into doing this and uh, why I think uh, business uh, has a big role to play in this area. Does that work? Yes, that'd be great. Lovely. So, you know, I, econ undergrad, uh, and I had a brilliant opportunity to go work for a large telecom company uh, managing large-scale projects. And uh, what I realized was uh, when I worked with 400 plus people across India and the UK, there was a certain difference between how people uh, uh, transacted, you know, people who were curious about what they did, uh, wanted mastery, wanted to solve problems, and wanted to have an impact on the world. And uh, that impression as, a, as, a, as my first job stayed with me. And it only grew when I went back to India and was an entrepreneur uh, building a technology business for education, but this was higher education at that time. I met consistently young people or older people who were who fell into these buckets of super curious, wanted to have mastery and control and develop uh, or have an impact on the world, and then people who fell in bucket number two who were just transacting uh, jobs for money and uh, cared about very less. And uh, when I started reading about the state of the world, I thought we needed a lot more of these bucket one people. 
And I became curious about how they were crafted or built and what seemed to be similar uh, or, or anecdotally at least across these bucket number of people was they had powerful life or education experiences. And what was common across them was they had a different kind of education. Mm-hmm. And I was a few years into my career and I started uh, really looking at the people through this lens and realized that education played a big role. And from the deans of directors of the institutions that I was working with, we realized that uh, it was primary education that made a big difference. So I actually became a primary school teacher, Alison. I taught primary school. I did the Teach for India Fellowship, which is a little bit like Teach for America in the U.S. or Teach First in the U.K. And I was in charge of 42 children between the age of 5 and 11 uh, for about two and a half years. And that's where I realized that early childhood was super important. What happened with children before they came to school or walked into the doors was uh, super important. And the idea of research in early childhood, the idea of how parents uh, viewed society and the influence on the children became uh, very critical. And I uh, came to Oxford. I did a double master's, uh, MSc in child development, to understand that. And then, of course, I did an MBA because, you know, Uh, I I believe business can truly be a force for good. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Lego Foundation, I think, spans that boundary between being a corporate foundation that has a large business entity that wants to be a responsible player to inspire and develop the builders of tomorrow, which are children, Uh, but looks at the world in terms of uh, having high-quality learning across the world. And um, the way that it plays out in different countries across the world, like how how is this uh, education being brought to children? Is this via class classroom activities at home, teachers, parents, via tech? You mean high quality early learning? Yes. I think there are different models. So the foundation supports. Uh, Lots of implementers in very different countries uh, in terms of looking at what are the high quality models and how they can be scaled. Uh, but I think going back a little bit to to why there's an opportunity in business, I think what we share across the many countries uh, that uh, that they are is that as a collective, there are millions of potential customers in the world. Um, most of them either sit in high growth markets, which we popularly call the developing world, or high value markets uh, where parents want great learning for the children. Preschool, uh, which is below the age of uh, six or eight, is usually very light, lightly regulated. And uh, parents are willing to pay a lot in terms of time or money to ensure that the children have uh, incredible access to uh, great learning experiences. And when they have a few uh, few opportunities to expose children to new experiences, they realize that they want to do much more. So millions of customers, high growth or high value markets, low regulation, willingness to pay, and uh, you know what, what is inchoate demand uh, makes it a phenomenal business blue ocean opportunity. And uh, examples of that abound, whether it's Nigeria, where the, you have one of the fastest growing countries in the world, or you have the UK, where the government introduced a 15 hours per week uh, free early care for uh, families who couldn't afford it, and that quickly grew to 30 hours a week. You're seeing examples all over the world where there is room and time for parents to experiment with uh, how the children are taught and educated. So you're seeing, well, as you know, we'll be speaking to Laura White um, shortly, who um, who you know, and she's 
looking at setting up a startup at the moment. So are you seeing this as sort of an area that's getting more popular in, in recent years? I think in my view, what business does really well or what startups or what business is set up to do really well is uh, attract capital towards problems, try things out and and scale it up. So innovating close to the issue uh, is is something that's the, the, the heartbeat of business. So I do think given the massive opportunity, given the fact that there is room for innovation and consumers, people like you and I, people who are young parents uh, or, or people who are trying to solve issues for children uh, want to use tools that they use day to day towards uh, being able to make life either more efficient for their progeny in terms of organizing things or have a better system of delivery where they can uh, have a seamless interaction with the various different experiences the child is having. We then spoke to Laura and Pooja about how technology can play a pivotal role in supporting the parents of young children and how their startup is looking to combat some key issues in the area of early childhood development. So today on the podcast, we are delighted to have Laura and Pooja here, two of our MBAs here at SBS. So um, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah. So uh, they are here to talk about their social enterprise. Um, And I guess we can start with like your vision. So you've said that your vision is a world where every parent has the support and knowledge they need to give their children an equal chance for success. You know, can you just give like an overview of like how you became like aware that there was like an issue around early childhood development and how you got into this? Happy to. Yeah. So this is Laura. And I was an early years teacher before coming to the MBA program. So I used to teach children as young as one and a half with autism, uh, as well as uh, typically developing preschoolers and pre-kindergartners for D.C. public schools in the States. And every year I had the same problem in that uh, low-income children were arriving in my classroom, often significantly behind the skills of their wealthier peers. And this really bothered me. And on top of that, it was part of my job as a teacher to try and close that gap. So I experimented with how to do that a lot in my own teaching, but also a critical component was providing highly individualized, relationship-based coaching to parents to help them help their child grow. And that's what really resulted in enabling all of the children in my class to be able to leave at the level that they needed to to succeed in the next class. So that's what brought me to the MBA. I wanted to explore how to do that at scale, and my teacher skills weren't enough to do that. I was fortunate to meet Pooja, who was looking at the similar problem, but just from a slightly different angle for me. Yeah, so this is Pooja. Uh, My background, I was working in child welfare and foster care in the United States, kind of working from the federal level on policy level changes all the way down to at the at the county and state level how foster care is actually administered to make outcomes better for children and families um, and anyone who's familiar with the uh, caring system in the US or sorry in the UK or the foster care system in the US knows that it completely most of the time doesn't work mm-hmm. and so um, the kind of nut we were trying to crack was how might we support families uh, vulnerable families in particular better to be able to foster their children's development to really break that cycle of poverty and intergenerational vulnerability. Um, and we realized that we really had to be working preventatively and at kind of the much higher upstream than what we were doing when children had already been abused or neglected mm-hmm. or were at risk of being so mm-hmm. in the foster care system. So I was really excited about the angle of helping parents and helping families support their children. 
So why do you think the, the current system isn't working? Is it that there isn't enough money for services or people aren't aware of it or they don't have the opportunity to kind of take up what's available? Like, It's a great question. Yeah. And actually, we're very fortunate in the MBA program at Said to have participated in the Map the System contest, yeah. which challenges students and people from other business schools to really map out an ecosystem to understand the root cause of a problem. Mm-hmm. So Pooja and I did that to explore uh, early childhood services in Oxfordshire. And we actually found that, long story short, in an environment of austerity, different uh, early childhood institutions uh, at the local level were really struggling to serve the most vulnerable families, the people that are hardest to reach. Often those are folks in rural communities um, or have a few more barriers that might keep them from going to, say, a children's center or a stay-and-play group. What sort of challenges do they face, these vulnerable Yeah, mental yeah. health is yeah. a huge thing. And that really came out in the prototype that we were doing. Uh, people often know what they should do by this point. There's a lot of information out there about what you can do to support your child, reading to them, singing to them. But there's a behavioral barrier to actually doing that. And that comes from feeling like your own needs aren't met. People are judging you and not seeing where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just really difficult. There, there are structural barriers, so things like education level of parents or just physical proximity to services that are really difficult to overcome. But I think the grand, the much bigger challenge that we've been finding that it's found both in the literature and is found through our kind of anecdotal evidence from our research was that there are these psychological and cognitive bi- barriers to putting in practice a lot of these things. But in response to kind of the the question of is it sort of resources? Is it cognitive? Is it just people know and they're not doing it? It, the answer is yes. It's kind of all of the above. <laughs> yeah. So there are there are yeah. significant resource constraints. There's also the fact that early childhood, while it has exceptionally high ROI, you don't see that ROI until a child is entering employment or entering school, and that could be at the very least five years to like twenty. And so it's really difficult when you're in a government situation that has limited budgets and election cycles of four years to invest significant money in something that won't pay off at least for five years, if Mm -hmm. not longer. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, I imagine, you know, not getting the early childhood development that a child needs probably has long term repercussions. It's not necessarily like, oh, you know, they get to school and they're a little bit behind. So they have to work a bit hard to catch up. You know, what what the sort of uh, consequences of a child being behind at this stage and not getting the support that they need? Yeah, it can ultimately lead to lifetime inequalities. And that's what actually got me interested in early childhood education as a teacher that and they're the most enjoyable people at that age. Um, But but we found uh, in our research here that a significant portion of the attainment gap uh, after leaving primary school is already present Mm -hmm. when a child enters primary schooling in the UK. Mm -hmm. It persists. And we know from research as well that most brain development happens between the ages of zero and three. And so that's a really critical time to being able to prepare everyone for school and for life. Mm-hmm. There's a particular stat that 50% of gaps in uh, cognitive assessments at the age of 11 are were already present at age 2. Wow. And so that's even before a child is entering preschool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so re- really early intervention is where it needs to happen. Mm-hmm. But again, that ROI kind of time scale is so long that it tends to be kind of the thing that gets cut first. 
if you have to look for things to around budgeting. And I want to point out too, like we're talking a lot about uh, children and the challenges they face, but I think it's a really unfair position to put parents in to not support people at their that stage of their child's development like you know when you're having children who are young you're often not as economically uh uh positioned as well as you might be like further down the line as you're advancing in your career Mm -hmm. it's really unfair to not support people at this point yeah yeah, and, and what are the ways that you're seeking to address this program with a uh, problem with your social enterprise? Yeah, so we're trying to meet parents where they are on their terms and help them accomplish their goals for their child. And we're trying to do that in a medium that's known to them. We've been using WhatsApp and messaging to speak with parents about their goals and their pain points. So what are they really struggling with with their child? What's important to them and their family? And how can we help them with that and then use that as a platform to also share things that they can do that meet their goals that advance their child's development? Mm -hmm. And when we looked at the literature overall around kind of when we looked at gaps in school readiness, so by the time low-income children enter primary school, they're starting about 11 months behind their higher income counterparts in the UK. And so when we looked at the breakdown of what is responsible for those gaps. Parenting is the biggest explaining factor, and it's also the area where it's the hardest to intervene in. Um, And so that's the reason we chose to focus specifically on parents and parenting. And then we looked through, uh, we did a a lot of user research with parents and with experts in the field around what were the barriers to putting those parenting behaviors that we know work into practice. And that's where we came up with some of these cognitive barriers we mentioned. And that's how we came up with this model of kind of working on parenting goals with parents in a way that meets them where they're at, does it empathetically and in an empowering way um, so that they're able to be the parents they want to be to their children because every parent wants to be the best parent they can be for their child. Yeah, like an analogous kind of thing to think about what we're doing, right, is a lot of people might have a goal to lose weight or get in shape, right? Mm -hmm. But it's hard to actually put our exercise behavior, eating behavior into practice. We know what we want to do. It's hard to actually do it. And then we feel bad when we don't have success. So we're thinking about parenting a similar way. People have goals that are valuable, and we're just trying to make having those achieving those goals a little bit easier and it's not contingent on you know getting the child to nursery or getting them to do that you can, no. you know something that you can a parent can incorporate you know throughout yeah. the day if they're at home and yeah absolutely everything is based on like a set of constraints that we came up with doing our user research so it's like minimum viable actions that you can do every mm-hmm. day and that little wins right you can feel successful as you go even if you're just remembering that i should have done that that's a step in the right direction Sure. And what are the nature of these interactions with the parents? Could you kind of, you know, say from a parent's perspective, like how do they engage with the... Mm -hmm. the It's a lot like WhatsApp messaging with your friend. That's what we've been aiming for. So, and we should say too, this is an early stage project. So this is all in prototyping. Mm -hmm. But our prototyping that we've done so far that's been successful has involved building a relationship So doing conversations and activities with parents through WhatsApp messaging that allow them to reflect on what they're grateful for about their child, what's really funny about their child and their day. Uh, And then that kind of gets us to a place where they feel comfortable sharing what's really challenging for them. And then we move uh, into setting a goal related to that using a behavioral science technique called WHOOP. 
and then we move into a uh, goal. Just input. Me. Ah, <laughs> great question. Great question. It stands for wish, outcome, obstacle, plan. Okay, great. Yeah. And the way that works is you think of a wish, like what you want for your child. For example, one that I hear a lot is um, I want my child to be able to calm themselves when they're upset. Uh, outcome would be, well, what would that mean for your family? Oh, like we'd all get along so much better. We'd be able to get to things on time, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, obstacle, what's keeping that from actually happening? Yeah. Uh, maybe your, your child uh, kind of flies off the handle really quickly. Um, and then plan is when you see that starting to happen, or if you see that starting to happen, then do this. And building that this into your habits. I see. And then would would the um, platform sort of link to other kind of services available or make them aware of what's going on in that area, for example? That's definitely our aspiration. Yeah. Pujin knows a lot about that from her work before. Yeah, so my previous work was effectively making government services more accessible because they tend to not be. Mm -hmm. And so we are imagining that this could... And it's already kind of become necessary for example when we're working with a more vulnerable parent it becomes evident that that's that this isn't something that we can reg like it's not a daily ba behavior that we could just take care of over text yeah. um and there needs to be some further intervention either with a doctor or a speech therapist or something like that and but the understanding is that actually a lot of parents are coming to us at the point where they're not confident or they actively have the desire to not have to use that service. And so our mission becomes how might we use this process to build their confidence so that when so that when we make kind of a warm suggestion later um, that, hey, we think that it would be really helpful if you reached out to a doctor or you reached out to a speech therapist to do this, um, they'll be more amenable to it. Mm -hmm. And so we're thinking about actually this as being also a way of making those services more accessible and more friendly and priming people to access them properly. Um, so, so yeah, I think that is an explicit part of what we're doing. It wasn't maybe when we started, but now it is. And she makes a big, a good point too. Like, uh, it's a core part of our mission. We don't think that these services can be replaced via text. And there's a temptation to do that in times of austerity. We're trying to make those in-person services even more successful and even better mm -hmm. by closing that loop. And how does the technology work? So you use a chatbot, is that right? So is it... Again, AI? this is a prototype, yeah, yeah. early stage effort, but yeah. that's the vision. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to see. One thing I really like uh, about working with Pooja is she's an expert designer. Mm -hmm. So we've been trying to do whatever is best for achieving this goal of serving vulnerable parents well mm -hmm. as we advance and learn more. But right now we do envision as a chatbot. And in the short term, the uh, chatbot is me. Yeah. So, so we've been. I would talk to you. <laughs> Thanks, She's, Allison. I think I think that's the reason why. Uh, like so much of this is when we first started, the question was actually, what does this even look like if we were doing it over text, right? Because that hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. And so the question was, Laura's already done this in with in humans and in class. So what if we just I gave her the biggest kind of leeway possible and said, do this over text and then we'll try and codify what you do. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of like what we've been doing so far is we've been following Laura's lead effectively and the parents lead to actually think about what the chat bot would do in terms of mimicking what that journey looks like when a human is actually there on the back end. And to our prior point about integrating with 
human services, what parts of these things can be automated and what parts will always need to be done by a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there are a series of assumptions or questions like that that need to be answered before we think about, okay, well, let's code it into a chatbot mm -hmm. or create the data infrastructure on the back end to make the machine learning possible or whatever. Um, we've been really trying to be pretty deliberate about validating those assumptions or getting answers to those questions in a systematic way so that with each iteration, it gets closer to the real thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it sounds like you know, a really fascinating social enterprise. It's a great idea. Like you've really clearly both done your homework. So I'm yeah, really looking forward to seeing how it goes over the next few months. Hopefully, maybe we can get you back on the podcast in the future you can talk about. <laughs> that would be fun. We would out. love to do that. <laughs> I'm sure there will be a whole new set of like craziness that's happening by then. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much both of you for coming on um, I really enjoyed it I'm sure our listeners did as well thank you our pleasure thank you for listening <laughs> thanks as always for listening to the future of business podcast we hope you've enjoyed the season so far please consider rating us or sending your feedback to us directly at sbspodcasts at sbs.ox.ac.uk until next time goodbye <laughs>